Hello, and welcome to Artbox. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I talked to Ali Shargo Speechland. She's an artist out of New York. She started off as an oil painter and then moved into the immersive world of cardboard. You'll learn more about that in the interview, as well as her future project in Germany. So, sit back and relax and enjoy the interview. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, but uh, I wanted to say thank you very much for doing this, uh, especially during this crazy time that we're going through. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Honestly, it's really nice to have <laughs> things to put on the calendar to differentiate the days. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can hear the background. It's like you, it sounds like it's a nice day over there. So that's good. Oh, yeah, it is. It's nice. It's like my first time actually sitting outside for a while. Yeah, it's been cold. So, it's been cold lately. Yeah, yeah. It's been cold. And we have these wonderful cats and squirrels in our neighbor in our backyard that we get to like view and <laughs> <laughs> and their little fights but yeah it's, it's nice <laughs> to be outside there's fights like this morning they woke up at 5 a.m i'm always like what should we do do we intervene in the cat fights well, i don't know this is like um did you ever watch those shows uh the oh, what's it called by it was some in insurance company would sponsor it getting the name of it but it was these wild Wait. shows that back in the 60s and 70s they would do and they basically uh the wild and wonderful something of omaha it was the name of the insurance company I'm trying to think of it but oh, sounds fantastic already just like i can picture the sponsorship like introduction you know yeah it, it's <laughs> yeah they would have the, the sponsor in the name and uh they, anyway they would basically would just you would see these like you know fights with you know wildlife fighting each other and it's kind of like one of those things where you can't help but wonder it's like okay you're filming this should you stop it and, you know or it's like the bbc you know planet life people doing the same thing and and you know i've read articles it was sometimes like well i want to stop the fight but i can't because it's you know what they're doing and i'm like yeah it's myself. also like you shouldn't interfere like they they probably need that to keep their ecosystem going i guess but then i wonder yeah. With like street cats, if it's different, like if they were, you know, like put out from someone's home and now they're, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, hey, let's uh, yeah. let's get the interview started. So your mom helped start Young at Art Museum. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. My mom is the founder. Uh, she opened it actually with my grandmother. They started it as a nonprofit uh, museum without walls before I was born. And then by the time she was pregnant with me, uh, they had opened the museum. So uh, like I we see. have the same birthday, the oh. museum and I, um, and it's, a. <laughs> how do you feel about a, that? <laughs> it's amazing. Really? I mean, it's just really cool to have grown up having art as, as an acceptable form of expression. Yeah. Um, and not only acceptable, but like the encouraged form of expression. So, and it was always fun being able to play around on the at the exhibits and I also it was cool like I, I love museum education also like in my own professional background so I definitely get it from that <laughs> just being able to and in children's museums the education department is always so strong because that's like their center uh you know yeah that's their <laughs> that's their main anchor so just being able to see that side of museum like industry in a really intimate way like seeing how art and objects are connected to the viewer with text like i'm always I, I think it's like in the background of my thinking all the time with my work too yeah just like the language of museums yeah there's a lot of reasons and it was just an amazing place and today 
it's uh, I guess it's now eight years. I think it's been in its own home. Hmm. Uh, the first museum was a donated storefront in 1989 in Plantation in Florida. And now they have their own home that's a gold lead certified building, beautiful design, and the exhibits are all ugh, all designed by contemporary artists. And instead of like teaching down to kids, they it's like essentially part of their mission is like teaching up, giving the art, letting the art, let the kids grow with the art, you know, not like uh, infantile, infantizing anything, infantilizing. I can't say that word right now. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I will put your like words all trying, the time. But... Yeah. <laughs> I want to slide in with this question then. When when I was doing a little background research on you, I like to call it internet stalking for a good cause. <laughs> Uh, I noticed that you had a project with the, with the Young at Museum, and I don't want to reveal too much because I want you to say what it is, but uh, I want to know how you got involved with that particular project with uh, to tell stories, quote unquote, to kind of give you a clue what I'm talking about. Oh, the cardboard yeah, stories? Yeah, the cardboard stories, yes. Oh, yes. They have Yacht at Home right now, which is a program where they're trying to bring contemporary artists that are you know, in their, in the Yaw family, they've exhibited amazing, like local contemporary artists throughout Florida and also throughout international artists too. But they, so they have like a built a community of artists that have been able to experiment with their work through the platform of a children, like a, a family-based museum. Like everybody is encouraged to touch the art, yeah. which is the opposite of <laughs> the normal situation. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of artists have bring, that are connected to the museum have been offering different platforms and different engaging activities for families through their social media and through their website. So it's not, it's available internationally, which is fantastic thing about our new virtual world is that like we have so much more access to different museums all over. Yeah. And so, yeah, my project that uh, was connecting to my own current installation, which is using cardboard to, you know, tell different, like being a, using it as a raw medium to be able to tell different stories and make different objects. And uh, what's cool about it is that I was able to find it on, on the intertubes. <laughs> <laughs> Could you uh, give me the the web address to the PDF file that people can download and print out for for them to participate in that? Yeah, absolutely. It's Yaw uh, at Home. I think it's youngadartmuseum.org, Yaw at Home. Because I think that what's going on now is great for families and for even for adults to to use this as a way to help them kind of work with what's going on in the world, especially now. And I, that's what really jumped out at me about that. It's like, you know, even adults can participate in this and use cardboard to help kind of tell their own story in, 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 a, in a narrative. So that's something that's really cool with the museum's mission. And generally it, it really is a place for all families to be able to enjoy together. It's a place where like the parents are enjoying the exhibits and challenged by the exhibits as much as the kids are, you know? Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I'm excited. I can't wait to see what your cardboard story is going to be. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, right now, <laughs> oddly enough, kind of like with most artists, is that, you know, you're always at working home already. So I'm actually kind of busy, but I will download it and <laughs> see if I can uh, acquire some cardboard, which shouldn't be too hard nowadays, and, and see what I can do. Uh, if anything, I can get my wife involved too, because I know that uh, she would be more willing to do that. And, and the other thing is that, you know, people should try to post this on social media, you know, and uh, definitely let people see it. You know, don't, don't just make it and hide it. No, post it and share. And post what's kind of cool about the idea, like with objects specifically, like how objects can tell stories is if you're collaborating, I love that idea of you guys working together because you can maybe think about like a moment 
or like a ritual that you have together or like like a space that you went together that was really special. And if you don't have a souvenir from it or if you had a souvenir that maybe broke from it, like imagining what the souvenir would maybe look like. It could be really nice. Yeah, that could be like a nice little like date night. (laughs) Well, you know, and, and like you said, spending a lot of time with each other, that actually would be an awesome good date night. I might have to propose that to her. I'm already thinking I just broke, my husband doesn't know this, he'll find out soon enough, but I just broke one of his favorite, like this ashtray Uh that I'm going to fix. I'm going to fix, I'm fixing it. But however, I just thought maybe I should also remake like a really special one. So he has like the real one that has a crack and then a brand new one remade out of cardboard. (laughs) I like that idea. I think you should do it. I like that. (laughs) I hope he, you know, well, by the time that this uh, interview comes out, it will be taken care of and fixed so (laughs) oh yeah absolutely i will we're really into that like i think it's oh gosh i think it's called kintsuki there's like this japanese art of like have you heard when you fill when something breaks and then you fix it yes and you fill it with gold and then it's like more beautiful than it was before i'm probably mispronouncing it yeah i i actually i've heard about that yeah and nowadays some people have taken their own take on that and have used other things rather than uh metals to fix Ooh. the crack. So, yeah, it, that would be something that I would love to see how you would do with an ashtray in cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I might have to throw some other crafts. I have uh, craft materials I have in the studio in the mix. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, that, that brings up a good point. What kind of themes and narratives th- that you explore with your work? And I'm talking about like uh, when you first started off back in, 2011 to right up to now how did that what kind of narratives and themes you've shifted to and explored yeah um i think i've always well first of all i've started my art career i guess as a a painter primarily and i was really into being like a paint into identifying as a painter um so that was but i've also really been driven by the research side of making i guess Concept-wise, my work has always been concerned with like the specifically Jewish structures, uh, whether they're like religious or national structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I, I don't want to pigeonhole myself to to Jewish because I'm also I'm trying I'm using the framework of Judaism to talk about other political structures. Yes, and you do in past the smear or I'm trying. Yes, to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that> so, one... <laughs> so that's an example of like a little. So, so. After got my, I received my MFA from School of Visual Arts in a fine arts program, which is very interdisciplinary. And that was my first experience kind of transitioning from a strict language of paint to being able to like use other mediums right. and then pass the schmear, which you're talking about for this great contest that's in Inwood. They help and they support artists who apply to, to build these sukkahs in Inwood Park and a sukkah. It celebrates the holiday of Sukkot, which is a uh, sukkah is like a tent kind of a holiday of tents. Yeah. And basically, you're you're referencing the time that the Jews were in the desert and nomadic people, and you build a sukkah in your yard and you welcome people into it and you have your meals and you sleep and there's all these restrictions for the sukkah in order to make it kosher. Yeah. So like there there have to be a thatched roof so that you can still see the stars above your head. Hmm. And um, there's all these, and like there has to be three walls. But anyways, so I made mine out of bagels. Which is <laughs> <laughs> um, like four, oh gosh, I can't even remember how many bagels that was because I'm getting it confused with the challah project, which was like 400 of challah. But the bagels, it was a lot of bagels. 
I actually had, they were, so they were donated stale bagels that couldn't be used by City Harvest. They couldn't they, The company I got them with normally works with City Harvest, and these were bagels that were like forgotten and kind of like stale, getting a little... And I had a bunch in the bottom of my studio when I had a studio in Greenpoint. Yeah. And I come out of my studio because I'm in the middle of like bringing them to the roof to polyurethane them. And I, I, I come outside and the guy that was in my next, next door studio at the time is eating a bagel. Oh. And I'm like, where'd you get that bagel? Like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, this guy that was delivering packages just gave me it. He's like, the, he like had a bunch of bagels. Huh. And I'm like... I don't think those were his bagels and like you probably shouldn't eat it because <laughs> there's like mold in the bottom of the box for sure. Yeah. Ooh. Anyways, I had a bagel thief and I ended up getting more bagels from the company. So I went through maybe like a thousand multi bagels for that. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, you on your website, um, you do have pictures of it and uh, a little quick gif that shows kind of an installing process of it, which I think is really cool. And I, you know, and, and, and also learning a lot about that, which, which is really, I, I was very eye-opening for me, you know, to learn, you know, about different aspects. And uh, I, I like the fact that you use bagels to reinforce the whole theme of it all. So yeah, bagels connect everyone connect and like everybody. in the holiday of, especially New York, you know, bagels, the essential come on over. Yeah. We're having nothing, bagels. <laughs> nothing like a nice warm bagel. I tell you. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that process of putting up that. I can't even. (laughs) The gift didn't explain it. It was, I had like four men holding up the. Holding holding up the poles. Holding up all the poles. Yeah. (laughs) Well, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That was intense. Well, and, and, you know, the other thing that is more satisfying than a warm hot bagel is also just peeling tape off of things. That's the other satisfaction that I get too. Well, tape off of things or also have you ever, I do a lot of paper macheing. Yeah. So have you ever like done the glue off the hand thing? Oh yes. I do that a lot. Oh yeah. And, uh, um, it's so good. I, I used to really like that. I've just worked on too many projects where I just got tired of, of putting, you know, having white glue all over my hands. So, you know, I would still wear gloves and gets in my arm hair and it hurts. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you have to like build. build I, I've gotten up. a little bitter over the years. Yeah. Yeah, I've always had students like, um, so I'm like a, an artist in residence right now and teacher in residence, well, not right now, but well, kind of right now currently, with Project yeah. Art, yeah, yeah. currently, uh, with Project Art, which is a fantastic nonprofit organization that pairs artists with libraries. Oh, cool. So it's, and they teach art classes that are offered for free to kids at schools that aren't offered art and to the community that just otherwise wouldn't have access to art classes. So I've been making these cardboard, we're, we're losing a living room with them. And there's <laughs> always kids when you do paper mache that are like, don't want to touch the glue. Yeah. Like, of course there's kids that are like, yeah, give it to me. I'll eat it even. But yeah. like, you, know, <laughs> you don't want to encourage that. But like, no. yeah, but there's always the ones that are like, oh, it's icky. But then once you teach them the peeling thing, it's like they're in. Yeah, they will it, sacrifice the icky feeling knowing that later they get to peel. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think there are some adults who grow up that also don't want to have anything to do and touch with any kind of paints or glues. I mean, I, I know my personal experience, I've had that issue. Well, gloves are for you then. That's good. <laughs> or, or, yeah. Luckily, we're in an age of gloves. Yeah. They're acceptable. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah. So you you basically had this shift from doing oil painting on linen and what have you, and then you started doing more uh, sculptural type works, like we just talked about with the bagels. So then you kind of just started using cardboard at one point. And uh, how did you come about with that? It just is it just the the practicality of it, or? 
Yeah, so my my work since veering out from strictly a oil painting practice, I've kind of just let the media, like the project guide the medium. And if I don't know something, I just like, I just want to learn how to kind of figure out how to do it too. So there's this project, a whole new Megillah. It's answering the question and then I'll get to the cardboard, but it's the one that kind of <laughs> okay. freed me in the mediums. Right. This project, um, a whole new Megillah, it's this annual project that co-ops this Jewish holiday of Purim where you dress in costume, you dress as your enemy, and yeah. you're supposed to get so drunk that you don't know the difference between good and evil. Ooh. And there's a lot of amazing other rituals and traditions in it. You you have to um, wave around this uh, grogger, it's called like a noisemaker, every uh-huh. time you say the enemy of the holiday's name as to wipe his name from history. It's like part of the holiday is you have to retell the whole story of why you're celebrating. Anyways, so because of that project, I was that kind of started with these large oil painted masks. That was like me breaking the edge of the canvas. So I now was like bringing them around and using them in performances, more like kind of political effigy kind of look. And then I know that's when like cardboard is is really, really accessible. I just know like in all of my packages. So it's like saved it. This also comes from my background just in a children's art museum where there's so much recycling happening. I grew up, my mom literally saved every bottle. She still does it. (laughs) Every recycle bottle, everything, it goes in a bin to the museum. Like, so I have hoarding issues with <laughs> yeah. With that. So I like to reuse objects and I was using um like plastic bottles, making them into Trump bowling pins. Uh anyways, so fast forward this project, I was always researching the Yiddish spiel and the Purim spiel, which is the play that retells the story and kind of different history of Jewish theatrics. Like at the same time, start researching this other project that I've been working on for a very long time in a one form or another about my German citizenship. That's how it kind of began. And I was thinking about access to land that I have as a secular Jewish American whose family was forced to leave Germany in 1938. Like I have access to Israel. Um, I have access to, I thought Germany due to a law they have allowing people whose families were forced out with the Nuremberg laws to come back with their citizenship being stripped. However, it's really interesting that I don't have ac- access to my citizenship due to a retroactively applied law. Right. Anyways, so all of this sexist law, that's crazy. Anyways, um, <laughs> so yeah, because if, if I had German citizenship through a grandfather and not a grandmother, then I would be able to get it. But because I don't, I can't. Um, yeah, so that that's is kind of sexist. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just thinking about, like, access to land and also my experience working with Birthright, which is an organization that brings America, it's an international organization that brings Jews, like, 18 to 32 to Israel on these, like, historical tourism. I've heard about it. I've heard about that, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and it's really, like, all of these kind, and that's always been kind of my, the root of my interest is, like, all of these national structures that are you know, places where governments and religious heads of different religious organizations and other corporations collaborate in order to create a specific experience of either a place or a history. So that's always been like having experienced those structures growing up and that being my formation of my Judaism. I've always been like interesting in dissecting them. Yeah. So I was looking at uh, trying to find all of my family's history in Germany 
uh, so that I can get my citizenship. But then I find out through this research, because my family never said anything about their life in Germany. I knew nothing. Like my grandmother never said anything to, to me or my family. It was really just had, she had oppressed it. She left when she was, I think, 11 years old, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I never met my great grandparents. So I find out that my great grandmother was the first female to receive her PhD in chemistry at this university in Karlsruhe in Germany, where they're from. Wow. And there's a street named after her there. And there was a play made in her honor, like celebrating her plight as a woman, but not really mentioning her Judaism very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, wow, this is wild. So I started really investigating her and her life and really through their story through her lens. And I chose a period room and cardboard specifically as the medium for a period room to kind of tell the story. Another experience in these kinds of national museum come memorial spaces. I was in um, during a birthright trip, actually. I was at Yad Vashem, Mm -hmm. which is the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem. And I was in this period room that was like a German period room of a secular Jewish home. And it looked very German. Like, it just looked (laughs) very, like, I didn't really notice there was like a little bit of Jewish, some ritual objects, but not really. And they were just like, yeah, so if anybody's German in the group, and that was the first time I ever kind of thought of myself as German was in this space. Yeah. And it kind of like, it's hard to explain, but it really like, it was like a more powerful experience. The most, I had gone to that museum so many times because I was working within this trip. And that was the experience that really like stuck with me, that made me feel connected to that identity. So that's why I was really trying to find how kitsch and distortion and these chosen narratives can recreate that feeling for my audience. And the reason I chose cardboard is so that it's a little more accessible and it's not so specific. There's a lot of reasons, but I feel like it allows the viewer when entering this period room to kind of like put themselves in or their own family or their own memories onto the objects because they're so monotonous. It like allows for more open interpretation. Hmm. And then cardboard itself as a medium is so like, it always, it is uh, the container for objects of memory, right? but it, it's never the actual object. So it's like kind of reflecting the same way I'm accessing all these stories of my own family and my own identity. It's through a second hand. It's like not actually touching it, but it's, it's like a one step away from being the thing still. My first impressions when I saw the, the piece at the spring break uh, was what a beautiful world you created with such a bland piece of paper, cardboard. Now, listening to you, it made me kind of more realize, like you said, it's just the shell and then reinterpreting using the shell. And it, it really makes the world that you created more that more immersive to me. And that's... That's pretty awesome because, like I said, that was beautiful work. It is beautiful work because... Thank you so much. I love that word shell. That's like kind of eerie. I really like that. <laughs> oh, well, because when, when <laughs> my experience is when I walked in there, you know, after we talked to each other and uh, I kind of drifted off and started getting more into into the world, it was just that I felt that way. And I felt that this is, you're so, it's so immersive. And, you know, even though... You know, you didn't have the, where this, in this space, you had the window still open. You didn't try to block them or anything. So you still let the natural sunlight in. And it was just amazing that still I felt like I was in a whole nother world. I felt like I was the only one in that moment, in that space, in that time. And I thought that was, that's, that's a beautiful kind of thing and hard thing to kind of pull off, especially in such a space like that, where you hear noises and people talking and everything. I was still able to kind of zoom in that way. And I, that's, I thought was fantastic. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we had, 
I mean, I feel like the space also worked to our advantage in terms of like kind of being off in the corner and then using the cardboard as a barrier for sound kind of helped. Yeah. Um, in like the chaos of that, of the fair, which is such a fun, fun energy. It is. And I'm like, here's the Holocaust guys. But like, <laughs> what was great was a lot of people didn't really, a lot of people were able to come in and be like, Oh, that was wild. That was great. Thanks. And I'm like, cool. And I, I was, I was so happy that like people could enjoy it without having the weight of all of the tragedy that I put into <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, you were telling a story about her, and, and that, that is important. And, 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 you know, you do get that sense. But like you said, like I was saying, and what you were saying, too, is it creates this whole other world that it, it's just it just happened. It's an ex it, and it should be discussed and thought about, but not dwelled upon. And I think that was that, that I got that point. And I love that you could also interact with the pieces. You know, like like you said, there, you had photo albums, and I looked through the photo albums. I thought that was a great touch. And you know, of thank course, you. You know, <laughs> I, I, I was for tempted. Clapped here. <laughs> <laughs> but I was uh, very tempted to want to sit in one of the chairs. But then I thought, nah, I better not do that because I don't want to break it. <laughs> Actually, it's so funny you say. Like right now, I'm working on a sofa. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's like uh, of the period and when I was working with the kids at Project Art they kind of inspired me with with the sofa because we were we were making one with them and like I started building the base and then they come so that they could kind of help and build on it they come into class they run in as they always do and they're like oh my god a sofa and of course like the youngest one jumps on it and I'm like no, <laughs> no like it's not like that yet and then they kind of like showed me that it must be they're like no it must you must be able to lay on a sofa if there's a sofa it's like um i forgot what that law is like when they show a gun in a film it has to be shot it's like if there's a sofa it must be sat on you know oh right yeah yeah i i can't think of the what i know what you're talking about but yeah you know what i mean yeah the film guy i don't know yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I'm trying to make my sofa structurally sound right now, but it's, um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> you know, you could probably use wood, but that might be dangerous, especially if you have kids interacting with it. Well, that's like, my husband was like, why don't you use wood? I'm just like, I, I should, I should use wood. I'm thinking maybe I'll go concrete. I don't know. I have to, I have to, I have to think about it. I gotta think about it. Oh, you'll, you'll come up with a solution. It'll, it'll hit you like a ton of bricks. No pun intended there, but... <laughs> Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, Some maybe bricks. you could use bricks. Yeah. Bricks. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's crazy. The backyard, actually, every time we come out here, come to the backyard to, like, try to do some gardening or plant something we find more bricks buried i'm just wondering what is buried in our backyard in <laughs> i just want to know what's what's at the bottom of this yeah. i'm kind of getting worried now <laughs> i know i know i know don't be no it's fine well, i'll let you know i'll I, keep you updated yes please do and, and and through social media by the way i have a question for you that I, I like to call this my philosophical question i ask everyone this question and it's not a stumper or anything and i think you may actually have a good, unique or, or response to this one. The question is, uh, if anything could be called, quote unquote, art, what would be the point of calling it art and or the value of fulfilling that label? Um, so I have like a very specific feeling about this, but I definitely respect and always welcome differing opinions because arguing for the sake of... Uh, Heaven is beautiful anyways. Um, but I personally am very much in the in the camp of like everybody art is a is a form of expression that everybody should have access to. I think that what values it is that it was made by a person that in in of itself gives it inherent value. Right. Uh, 
And I, I mean, the whole, like every single, every, everything has a business, the business side of it, right? Like yeah. you can have people that love going camping, camping enthusiasts. And then there's people who like make a profit off of like making camping here because they love it. So, like there's always different forms of love and passion hmm. and like different ways of expressing them. And they are, it's not necessarily like dependent on the thing itself, you know, it's not like all campers are going to try to sell a lamp on Shark Tank. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, that's true. Not not all artists are going to try to like make work to to make money, but of course there are going to be those that that's how they approach art because they want it to be part of their practice, and I respect that completely. And therefore, I can see why some people guard art as being just for artists because they're like, well, if if it's too accessible, then then we are out of a a job, I guess, but or but it becomes like a devaluation, same, right? Right. Yeah, but that's like the same thing. Like I, I always try to look at art as just like another. Uh, I can't think. Like like okay, we have like another <laughs> genre. We have history. We have right. Another another genre of cultural exploration and reflection. Right. So like geography as a practice, like a geographer isn't going to be mad that people are enthusiastic about history and writing about history on, maybe they are, maybe they hate Wikipedia. They Maybe, I don't know. It's a fruitful conversation, but I, I, yeah, I definitely feel like everyone should and does have a, has access to a form of expression. Even like cooking is art making. I that, mean, the decisions that go into that are like amazing. Yeah. Just, I, I talked to someone about that too. They they brought up uh, cooking as another way of the art, you know, and you should, so does that bring it value? Does that call it art? Because it does bring value besides uh, feeding you and keeping you full, but it also has a, a form of expression too. So that, like you said, this could be a rabbit hole that we can talk about for hours. For hours. Yeah. Are you, do you know um, bread, bread and Puppet Theater? That's why I was like thinking of the when you first asked the question. Are you, do you know do you no. know about them by chance? They're, no, I'm not. I'm not familiar. You probably with them. you might know and then not know that you know about them. True. They're so they're like because have you ever seen this is this is why have you ever seen that Beatles movie Across the Universe? Oh, if I had, it's been a long time ago. So. Okay, well, there's a scene in it that features their puppets, and that's how people are like, oh shit. Okay. Um, but uh, they're they're a fantastic group that was founded by. Ugh, I'm sorry if I'm mis like miss saying his name. I think it's Peter. Something like that. <laughs> Definitely Peter. And he yeah. founded it in the, like the 1960s. And it's this commune basically and farm in Glover, Vermont, where they make they're they are not a nonprofit because they refuse to accept money from the government. They're in they're they're essentially there to make art as a form of communication, not to profit. And it's kind of part of their like core belief is that like art should be shared. So they have these amazing performances with these gorgeous puppets that are free and open to the public. And you go on this farm and all the people that like work on the puppets and do the performances are walking around barefoot. And at the end of the performance, they give you free bread. And that's why it's called the bread and puppet theater. And it's just like such a nourishing experience. And like, that's what art should be. <laughs> that's a great way to sum it up. Art should be you know, should be nourishing. And I agree with you with that. Yeah. So my other, <laughs> so the other question I wanted to ask you, and it's one of my favorite questions, what, uh, what, what kind of advice would you give your past self <laughs> or to other artists? My past self. Yeah. My past self, I would say to 
I, I would probably say to really like focus on all my relationships and all of my friendships and relationships a lot while I was in school and while I'm in like different, just because like you're always focused on trying to make, make, make and do, do, do. And like really just part of the ride and part of having a successful and balanced life is also community and really like maintaining positive connections with people. Hmm. That that's, I, I could see that. I mean, I should, I think about like uh, the past relationships I've had with friends and in living in the moment and that that's valid. That, that's, that's some good advice. Yeah. Cause it's like, things go by so quickly. Like, you know, I was in right. grad school. I'm like, Oh no, I don't want to go out to <laughs> Peter McManus. Cause I want to stay in the studio. And I'm like, you know what, Pastel, you probably should have just gone out and get like twisted with your friends, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last two questions I have to ask, is there anything that you would like to talk about that we didn't bring up or discuss? And the other one is, is there anything that you'd like to expand on? Um, yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I'm super excited about that we didn't talk about yes. um, is that I'm going to Germany next year to Karlsruhe. I just received that I got a Fulbright grant to go pursue research that's related to this installation room, but also then answers your second question, which is kind of the development of where this project's going. Right. So it's kind of brought me combining like my earlier, the earlier project that I, or the annual project that I do, a whole new Megillah, which kind of investigates the Yiddish feel. And then this project, which I've been researching into German history and um, artistic coexistence, pre-war co connections and all this stuff. So it brought me to this incredible political movement, theatrical movement that I didn't know about in Nazi Germany that's called the Thingspiel. Dingspiel hmm. was this, it was kind of a happening. I don't know how to put it, but, right. uh, but it, it was it was basically an outdoor stage that was built, planned to build 400 of them throughout Germany, but I think they ended up only with 40, about 40, because hmm. Hitler ended up not liking the plan and the movement. Yeah. But it was an outdoor stage built in nature, in a place that had referenced Germanic history and meaning and myth, and the stages had like were Roman and uh, Greek structures to also reference that myth, and they had these super interactive plays that would propagate the Nazi Aryan man, and in the same way that Yiddish plays, like not in the same way, but in the same structure of Yiddish spiel hmm. which it's like always with like a moral push and okay. also the structure of it is very similar and that, that it was highly interactive and the yiddish spiel predates it so there are three stages that are very close to karlsruhe and through my research i found that my family was very involved in like the arts there so i'm hoping to to find and if not find, invent some connection that our family had to this movement and then kind of reclaiming it with some with German in collaboration with German artists and musicians. And we're going to kind of re-perform the Dingspiel. Wow. Um, but that, in a that's, we, that's I, I don't know what it's gonna look like yet. We'll see. <laughs> well, first off, congratulations on getting the grant. And Thank you. Secondly, I can't believe it. I'm so yeah, excited. And and secondly, that is a huge undertaking, and I'm pretty sure you'll be able to get it. So Good luck with that. Wow. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It will be fun. And with help, it, it's possible and collaboration. And you're going <laughs> to learn a lot too, a lot about all aspects of all that because you're making a huge production. That's, that takes a lot of work. We're working together and, you know, being on, on top of things. Wow. So good luck. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm searching for fun. That's like what my studio practice is now. I'm like, 
besides trying to make this couch I can sit on, I'm like always <laughs> trying to find some funding. Yeah. <laughs> but I have time. It's delayed till January. So have some time. Yeah. But yeah, thank you so much. Wow. Yeah. No problem. I mean, I want to say thank you for uh, once again bringing it up that uh, taking the time to do this interview. Um, cause that, oh, I so appreciate I having appreciate the time it. to be outside and talk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that kind of wraps it up. Like I said, thank you again. I want to give a huge thank you to Allie for taking the time for doing the interview. If you want to learn more about Allie and her work, you can go to her website at AllieSpeechler.com. That's A-L-I-S-P-E-C-H-L-E-R.com. You can also go to her Instagram at AllieSharagoSpeechler. It's all one word. And as usual, you can go to Artbox's website at artboxdnv.com to find this episode and past episodes. And you can follow Artbox on Instagram at artboxdnv. Until next time, thank you for listening.